Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Hallelujah. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Glory to God. We're so blessed to have you join us today. Every time we can get together around the Word of God, it's a good day. Amen. He gives us so much insight as we go through these scriptures that, you know, you just want to get up and run around the room shouting hallelujah. Amen. But before we do that, we're going to continue... If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Genesis chapter 11. We'll be continuing our study today on the judgment of God. And basically what we're looking at is past judgments and why he was righteous in doing these judgments. But first, let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for your word. Your word's alive. It's in the earth today. It's taking shape just like you had the prophets say. Lord, we are definitely living in the end of days. The soon return of Jesus for his church is imminent. May your word go forth this day throughout the world by this internet message. And Lord, may your will be done in the name of Jesus throughout this earth. Have your way with this broadcast, Lord. We give you honor, glory, and praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shout amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Join me in our confession of faith. We do this each and every week. Just repeat these words after me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he shall come soon to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Genesis chapter 11 is one of the most well-known portions of the book of Genesis having to do with the Tower of Babel. And we'll be looking and reading these nine verses, verses one through nine, in just a moment. Uh, But I want to give you a little introductory history first. You see, the book of Genesis 
as you know, is the book of origins. It's the book of beginnings. That's actually what Genesis means, the book of beginnings. It's an amazing revelation of God written by the pen of Moses. And in this book of Genesis, in particular the first 11 chapters, we have a critical revelation about the origin of all things that constitutes a full worldview. There is here the universe in its origin, the origin of time, the origin of action, the origin of space and matter. There's the origin of the solar system and the atmosphere and the hydrosphere. There's the origin of all life. There's the origin of mankind. There's the origin of marriage. There's the origin of the family. There's the origin of sin and the origin of guilt and the origin of redemption and the origin of forgiveness. There is the origin of culture and civilization and animal husbandry and metallurgy and other enterprises that man has developed. The origin of poetry, amen. The origin of music, glory to God. And there's the origin of nations. There's the origin of languages. And all of that runs up from Genesis 1 through chapter 11. So when you get to chapter 12, you have the origin of the chosen people through whom the word of God and the Savior of the world would come. And from chapter 12 on, through the entire Old Testament, the entire focus is on Israel, the chosen people of God. Everything happens in and through and around the nation of Israel. Amen? And then you come to the New Testament, and you have Israel having failed to fulfill its responsibility to God to be the witness to the world that they were called to be, they are temporarily set aside. And the place of Israel, or in the place of Israel, God establishes a new chosen people made up of both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles. And they're called the church. That's not replacing Israel. In no way am I preaching any type of replacement theology. Don't get me wrong on that. But God is showing everything that happens in the New Testament begins to focus in and through and around the church. So from Genesis chapter 12 on through, it's God's redemptive work in the world through Israel and through the church. And then in the end, he reestablishes Israel as a nation. And glory to God, that's where we're at today. Amen. And he combines Israel and the church into his redemptive people that live forever with him. Glory to God. That's shouting territory right now. Amen. But before you get to chapter 12 in Genesis... You have the origin, essentially, of everything else in the earth. And it sets the stage for the final redemption work. Now, in Genesis chapter 11, the first nine verses of this chapter are obviously brief, but they are packed and stuffed with information. And we're going to find that we have here the only true record of the origin of the nations and the origin of the languages and the origin of nations and languages essentially came into existence by a single act 
of God. Amen? We're very much aware of the fact that the world in which we now live believes in evolution. They believe in the evolution of the universe. They believe in the evolution of biological life. They believe in the evolution of man. They believe in the evolution of everything. They believe in the evolution of intellect. They believe in the evolution of sociology and the evolution of nations, the evolution of languages. They believe in the evolution of everything, and the Bible teaches the evolution of nothing. That's what they believe. This is a universe, folks, that was created by God and everything in it in a six-day period of time. Nations and languages essentially established by God by one divine act that we're about to study. And sociologists and anthropologists and language theorists, they imagine this slow, long evolutionary process, socializing man and somehow evolving from grunts and chatter and chirps, languages. But we know better from the word of God, amen? We follow the brief history of man from Adam and Eve, the first man, first woman, to Noah and the flood, which we covered last time when God destroyed the entire population of the world except Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. Which means that after the flood drowned the entire earth and completely changed its topography and its environment, from those eight people came the rest of human history. We can trace our lineage back to Noah and one of his three sons. Amen. You see, the flood was in chapters 6 through 9. And when we get to chapter 10 and 11, in chapter 10 we begin to learn about the families that came from Noah's three sons. And we get to chapter 11, verse 10 and following, we can see that in chapter 10, as we get into the rest of chapter 11, we will focus on the line that led to Abram or Abraham. Because Abraham becomes the key figure in chapter 12. You know, it's through him that God creates the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And the Bible is the only accurate record of all this. You know, I've studied before about the accuracy of the Bible. And, and we talked about that so it, I could take the rest of this broadcast proving to you that the Bible's record is true. Right now, if, if you don't, If you haven't heard that, go back to our archives and find that series and listen to it. Amen. But it's the only record of creation, the only record for the flood that is accurate. There are flood myths because all the people of the world go back to Noah and they, all of them at least have some connection with those survivors of the flood. And so, you know, doesn't matter what people group you're talking to, flood myths abound. But the only accurate record for creation from Adam to Noah and from Noah to Abraham is contained in Scripture. It is the precise word of God. Amen. Now, it's not extensive history. It's just a few chapters. It's not an exhaustive study of the history. It's brief, very selective, 
but it is true, and it's enough for us to make sense of the flow and the monumental events that punctuated the life of early man from Adam to Abraham. And I've been pointing out, and for those who haven't listened to our prior broadcast, you know, you need to go back and, and to the archives and listen to that, but a careful chronology of the book of Genesis would indicate that man was created between six and 7,000 years ago. Amen. And if you follow the carefully crafted, divinely inspired genealogies of Genesis chapter 10 and 11, it's substantiated. All right? We're almost caught up to where I want to be. Amen. So Noah and his family came out of the ark in chapter 9, and they start to reproduce. Chapter 10 then chronicles the development of the families. We're not going to study that part you know, in depth because this series is on the judgments of God. But Noah, as you remember, had three sons. And out of those sons came various sons and grandsons and then families and clans and peoples and nations. Amen. We can trace in chapter 10 the line of Japheth and the line of Ham and the line of Shem into the nations of the earth. And as I said, when we get to chapter 11, verse 10 and following, we will focus on the line of Shem that went straight to Abram because Abram was God's chosen man who was given the covenant that resulted in the whole plan of redemption. We as born-again believers were grafted into the lineage of Abraham. That's why Galatians chapter 5 says... Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law so that the blessings of Abraham could come upon the Gentiles. Amen. So we are adopted into the lineage of Abraham. Therefore, we are in the family of God. Glory to God. The first nine verses of chapter 11 are crucial, though. They give us the event that launched the scattering And when they came out of the ark, they were a group of eight. And then they began to reproduce and reproduce. But they were still together as a family. And the question is, what scattered them everywhere? Well, we find out in chapter 10. It's a very fascinating, important study. And you can sort of trace your heritage through it. But what caused them to literally spread over the face of the entire earth? What catalyst was it that brought this about? And the answer to that is right here in chapter 11, the first nine verses. So let's begin to read in verse 1. You listen as I read. The whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Thus we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see this city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. 
And this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. And they stopped building that city. And therefore his name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the whole face of the earth. Amen. Now this is a very simple, a very straightforward explanation of how nations developed all over the world and how languages developed. God did it in one single act. It's in a way that, uh, what can I say this? Uh, it is in a way a profound tragedy as humanity is separated and splintered and scattered from each other, already having rebelled from God. And it's most likely true, and I won't drag you through all the process again to arrive at this, but it's most likely true the Tower of Babel happened no more than 100 years after the flood. Oh, Brother Bob, how can you say that? How do you know that? Okay, well, we can identify the time, and I've commented on it in the past, by the identification of one particular child that was born. Isn't it amazing how God can use the birth of one person to prove his point? Amen? But we're going to look at that. We'll briefly go over it. Uh, the child was named for this great act of separation. You see, in chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Two sons were born to Eber, who gives us the name Hebrew. That's where the name Hebrew came from. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. And we can follow the genealogy and know that Peleg was born about 100 years after the flood. So it isn't a lot of time. In 100 years, the earth has gone away from God again. In 100 years, the population, still one clan, one tribe, one language, one nation, one family, hopelessly sunk already into rebellion and sin. And so they're in need of judgment again. But this time, the judgment is dispersion. In the flood, it was judgment by destruction. But at Babel, it's judgment by dispersion. And frankly, the world at the time of Babel was not any different than the world at the time of the great flood. And God would have had every reason to drown the entire civilization with the exception of the few who were true to him. But he didn't do that because God promised he would not destroy sinners in that fashion again. This was to be an age of grace, patience, and forbearance. And so rather than judgment by destruction as with the flood, this time he uses a judgment by dispersion. He scatters them over the whole earth and changes all other languages. And as I said, man was no better than in Noah's day. A common grace prevailed. God was patient with man as far as world destruction was concerned, just as he is today. 
There are nations on this earth, including the United States of America, that is so deserving of God's judgment that if it wasn't for his grace and his mercy that endures forever, this nation would have already been destroyed. He's giving this nation, the United States, a chance to repent and come back to him. It's not going to happen. Despite the best efforts of the church, despite efforts at evangelism and, and revivals and all of this stuff, it is not going to happen. This land, the United States of America, will not return to the Lord their God. You'll have pockets here and pockets there. You'll have believers here and believers there who will refuse to go the world's way and they will cling to God and salvation in Jesus Christ, proclaiming the gospel message until the time of the end. But just like in the prophet's days, Elijah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and all the prophets, the nation of Israel was judged, rightfully so. God used other nations in the earth to judge them, overrun their nation. He took care of the prophets. But they still faced judgment. They still went through the judgment with their nation. It's just that God provided for those who believed. Amen. And that's the state of the United States of America today. We are deserving of judgment. I mean... Here we are at the end of days when the gospel should be proclaimed upon the housetops. And what are we worried about? Which bathroom to use? How disgusting can the president of this nation get? Anyway, I'm getting off topic here. Man was no better in the days of Noah than it was then because God was patient as the world's destruction was concerned but it's evident they had already turned their backs on God they had already gone down the path laid out in Romans chapter 1 we covered this a few weeks ago concerning the United States we're following a parallel path and this is an act of judgment as well and act in some ways of protection, and I'll explain that in a moment also. Now, when they were scattered, the scriptures talk about the sons of Japheth went into a certain area and splintered into various people groups. The sons of Ham went to other areas and splintered into people groups. And the sons of Shem did the same thing. And if you read and study chapter 10, sons of Japheth are indicated in verses 2 to 5. They became what is called the Indo-European nations from Western Europe going across Russia. And it's believed they actually, the sons of Japheth, actually crossed the Bering Strait into North America and South America. So if you were born here in America uh, from the native Indian, uh, if you're Hispanic origin, you are from the sons of Japheth. Amen. Uh, if you are European in origin, and so are you. Glory to God. The sons of Japheth all only possessed most of the territory on the planet, but they still lost their souls. 
The sons of Ham, who are noted in verses uh, chapter 10, verses 6 through 20, they went south. They inhabited Africa and Asia and the Far East. and Some of them remained in, still remain in the area around Canaan. Then we see the sons of Shem settled north and east of Canaan and included the Semitic people. And it's from that group of people, the sons of Shem, that Abram came. And from Abram came the Jews and the nation of Israel. They were the people to whom God gave the law, the prophets, the covenants, the promises, the adoption, the scripture, and through whom came the Messiah. Amen. It wasn't that God had chosen them simply to be the recipient of all that, but rather he had chosen them to be the proclaimers, the preachers of all of that truth. They were to be the preachers of it to the rest of the world. They were chosen as a missionary nation. And Shem's great-grandson, Eber, as I said, gave the name Hebrew to that chosen people. Amen? Now, that we understand from chapter 10 about the scattering, chapter 11, verses 1 to 9, tells us how it happened. Chapter 10 ends with the families of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, by their nations, and they were all separated on the earth after the flood. And chapter... The chapter ends and says they were all separated. Chapter 11 starts and explains how they were separated. So that's a very typical way in which Genesis records the divine record of history. You know, the structure of the book of Genesis and the text is simple. It's, if Once you see the pattern, it's very easy to understand. It could get complicated using the Hebrew language, so I'll spare you that. But the structure of the test, uh, text is very simple. It's the structure of reversal. The structure of reversal. What do you mean by that, Brother Bob? Well, verses 1 to 4, man is building up what he wants. Verse 5, God steps in. And verses 6 through 8, God tears down what man built up. Amen. It's just the structure of reversal. You can see it in Noah's flood. You know, the, the Sodomites and all of that. You can see it in uh, here, the, the Tower of Babel. You can see it in the end of days in the book of Revelation. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But it's the structure of reversal. I want you to remember that phrase, the structure of reversal. All right? So verse 1 to 4, the action of man. Verses 5 to 8, the action of God. It's just a simple way to understand it. Verse 9 is a summary by Moses. So see, that's the pattern. All right. Now the action of man is indicated in verse 3 with this statement. They said one to another, come and let us. They repeat it again in verse 4. Come, let us. That was sort of the statement indicating they were going to launch their great ambitious act of rebellion. The action of God is described in verse 7. Same words, only this time God says, come, let us. So you have the action of men in verses 1 to 4 and the action of God in verses 5 to 8. The context, or the contrast, I should say, in this brief text is between what man desires to achieve, 
which is directed at his self-glory, self-fulfillment, and what God does to show man's impotence and his emptiness before him. It is man at his best and his noblest trying to achieve his greatest anti-God act. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.